0: Hey there, welcome to Sobertown Podcast. I want to invite you to visit the wonderful world of sobriety. You can visit our website, which is SobertownPodcast.com. This is where you can find sober tools for your Sober Toolbox, such as Todd's blog on how to successfully manage alcohol triggers and cravings. We also post the Rewired Podcast and the schedule for Zooms. This is where you can find all these beautiful recovery stories that we all share from our heart of our hero's journey. We also have a Facebook community, Sobertown Facebook. I wanna introduce myself. My name is Viv. Some of you know me as Sober I Thrive on the I Am Sober app, which we warmly know as IAS. The I Am Sober app is a daily counter that you can download in your app store it's easy it's free and that's where we all met and we contribute to sobertownpodcast.com on there there's a community button where we can create community and connection in addition i'm a sober recovery coach certified in roots of addiction the joys of sober recovery and the neuroscience of addiction i'm also a certified life coach all you have to do to take advantage of a complimentary call with me for 30 minutes is send me your email. And you can send this email to viv at soberithrive.org. All it takes to change your life is to take the first step and schedule your confidential complimentary call. Everyone needs a sober cheerleader. And with the Sobertownpodcast.com, we can help create the sober warrior within you. Hello, Sobertown. I have one of our own and someone that we know and hold near and dear to our heart is here with us to give us her recovery story. Would you please introduce yourself?
1: Hi, I'm running on yoga on the app on IAS, and I'm 45 years old. I'm married. I have two kids. One is 12 and a half. The other one's 15 and a half. One son, one daughter. The older one is this, <laughs> and I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much Liz, for asking me to come and tell you my recovery story. I'm excited to get started.
0: Yes, yes. Oh, my God. So I've already listened to, to a lot of it, and I just wanted I want to set the stage. Running in yoga has an amazing story, and I think that the evolution of her story is one that is so inspirational. Because of every everything that she's overcome, and I just wanted to say thank you. I thank you for your courage. Thank you for being here, and you're an inspiration.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I hope I can inspire some people. <laughs> That's the goal, right? <laughs> so, so I really enjoy listening to other stories too. So that was why I feel kind of honored, honestly, to be part of it too. I enjoy hearing. What other people went through, not because I enjoyed that, but to get motivated and say, "You know, people overcome so much there's so much resilience in our group that I just feed off of that and say, You know we, we all can make this, we can do hard things, we can get through this without numbing, without coping in unhealthy ways, you know
0: right, right, this is so, so
1: beautiful, so take us back
0: running in yoga." To- <laughs> Little running and yoga, how she got started.
1: Yeah. Little running and yoga, did not like running or yoga. (laughs) When I was a kid, I actually tried to get in any kind of way out of PE to not run. I always heated it and complained to everybody about it, but it's been such a great tool since the few years to cope with things in a healthier way. So yeah, little running and yoga, grew up in East Germany. I lived in a town about a couple hours away from Berlin. And it was a small town near a bigger city. And yeah, my childhood was what, as much as I describe it as like a normal childhood with a really strict mom <laughs> and a dad who wasn't around that much. But to me, that was my normal life, right? My mom was very keen on raising us to be good people. She always emphasized that we we're supposed to be good people. and Accomplished people. She put a lot of weight into accomplishments and doing well. And I was a little feisty girl who didn't fit her mold that well. So we had a lot of falling outs when I was little with her, you know, spanking me. And it wasn't really grounding, but like taking things away from me to just say, you know, like this is my way of raising you and to be a good person, you know, to the point where I often felt like I had to get into cover when I knew that I was being mouthy or something happened where I knew I'd get in trouble where I knew you know I'd get spanked or like i I remember one time I was actually running away from her and then getting a kick out of her not being able to catch up with me thinking that was funny to the point where she took her shoe off and threw it after me looking back I know there was a lot that wasn't right with that picture but growing up I didn't know any different we just my sister and I always. I felt much better being at other people's houses. We always said, oh, it's so nice at other people's houses. And we didn't really like being home, especially when my mom was home. So if my mom was gone somewhere, we would all kind of relax and feel like, oh, a weight was taking off our shoulder because she wasn't there. Setting the rules and the boundaries and everything her way or no way and had to be done. We had to do a lot of chores as kids. Help a lot, like always big to-do lists and then she'd come and check and it was never really good enough where she would show us you know how it's really done to the point where you felt like why am I really bothering she's not going to like it and then she's gonna scold me and show me how it really needed to be cleaned and how it really needed to be done and I I just you know when I was thinking back at that time my sister and I really made the uh, the, the best out of it my sister was two years younger than me we were really close growing up together and We had to do things like every day, the dishes, we didn't grow up with a dishwasher or with a dryer or something. So we had to hang laundry, take laundry down, iron. And so we would make games like who was faster hanging up the laundry? Like, so, you know, like who had no pieces left? We would split them all up, count them out. And then we would say, okay, whoever has the basket empty first, you know, of course, then the job that we did wasn't to my mom's expectations since we rushed to get it all on (laughs) the right? I think she would say you know, now it's going to be all wrinkly, but hanging like this to dry. And so then she'd go and fold us for not doing well, even though we tried to make the best of it. We were like in elementary school doing those kind of things, you know, like having to help with chores that much and and, and had to be all really good. And yeah, so that was childhood. We really, really liked my dad. He was uh, like almost opposite to my mom. He was very laid back, very warm and yeah, always did fun things with us and and saw the world through our eyes much more than my mom ever could. You know, my mom was not really a kid's person who could understand a kid's mentality or could put herself in the shoes of a kid. You know, she she struggled a lot with that. And my dad was that person who could see, you know, oh, they would be like this and kind of goof around with us. But it was so you and far in between that he would do that. He was often just gone you know, with explanations of he had he was a beekeeper he had to take care of the bees and he was in a photography club and then he had to go do that and his work and then the yard and back in the day in east germany we had cars that everybody had to fix all the time because he had to have a car for like 20 years at a time if you were lucky to have one and so he was fixing cars and he was just not around much to really balance that whole thing out with my mom a little bit. and My mom told me later when we were growing up that they didn't fight much, but my dad would argue with her about child raising and would complain that he never wanted kids that had to endure or that would grow up with that kind of child rearing practice of being spanked or being treated so harshly for messing up or for not performing or not being obedient because she wouldn't budge. His way was to just not be there to see it you know that was then the way he dealt with it and I remember growing up with my mom being told by her cousins or other relatives that observed this that uh, she was being too harsh to us like they they said give, give them a, they're such good kids give them a little slack you know don't be like this and she just never took that to heart and just kind of rejected it so I do think that despite me saying I had a good childhood I really don't think that it was that kind of a childhood. Another example is is that she would, even when I was in like third, fourth grade, would put us in bed by 7.30. I was always 7.30 and we could read until eight and then lights out because she, she wanted to have her evening without us. And that was the way it was for the longest time, even when we were older and it was, yeah, it was boring to be in bed and not be lights out and not be tired. And it was one of my most dreaded thing for my childhood that I had to be in bed and laid there and couldn't sleep. And of course, then, you know, kids are being kids, then you start communicating with your sister through like, via like lights on and off switches. Like we would have like more old things where you would have like certain sequences to just do that and then we would like tiptoe to each other's bed and and then she'd come up and then spank us for not sleeping and you know like it she made it really hard on herself but that's the other part that I remember from my childhood like long hours at night in bed without being able to sleep so yeah yeah but that was that and when I think on then into my teens everything got very quickly derailed in all directions I mean that 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 childhood system as as strict as it was, was very predictable and very, yeah, you you knew how the cookie crumbled and you could, you know, could kind of predict things. But then once I became a teenager, things fell apart on all fronts. On one hand, when I was 12, the protests started in East Germany for people protesting the government and wanting more freedom and I grew up actually with both of my parents being very much against the government. And they were one of the first that did go on the streets and protest because mm-hmm. it started in a city where we lived nearby with the Monday, the Monday protests after a church service. And they would go together to that. And at first, they didn't tell us. because They were afraid that in school, people would ask around whose parents aren't home on a Monday night to figure out who went to those protests and then potentially come to our houses and take us away from them because of you know them doing such things and potentially going to jail for it you know and so at first we, we were always brought to my grandparents who lived in town and uh, but I was old enough to figure out that's what they were doing so they grew up with them constantly complaining about the living conditions in East Germany and everything there was and learned you know how how things were just not right in our country. And so later on, when it became safer because it took off and more and more people went, they told us we're going to do that. And so that was a time where everything started to be very unpredictable and very new in a way where people would watch the news all the time, figure out what's going to be tomorrow. And at the same time, my mom started crying a lot and she was constantly in tears and I couldn't make sense of it. I was always thinking, this is this because of some political that's the only thing I could explain it with. It's like, is it some political stuff that happened in Hungary and in other eastern countries where they shut people down because they went to protest and there were like a lot of people that died. And, and so I that was the only thing I could link it to that she was really upset about what was happening there. And yeah, she just she would just burst out into tears when we had a meal or when she yeah, she was constantly crying and we would ask my dad like what's wrong with mom and he would just say I don't know I don't know you need you know I mean we go to my mom and say mom what's wrong she would say you need to ask your dad and so it was just there was no answer for that and I was concerned that something like as a 12 year old you don't know and you're really concerned for your mom and then one day I was looking through my mom's purse because I wanted to take some lunch money. And I wasn't wanting to bother her for it. I would have just mentioned it later that I took lunch money to pay for lunch for the weekend. I found a letter in her purse that was to an agency for when you look for a new partner or when you're, you know, single to to, to look for someone. And I, yeah, I, 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 I knew then that there was something going on with my parents and that was the reason why she cried. And I was shocked. I was, I was thinking what you know like what happened that my mom's looking for a new partner and I started to observe more things like her not wearing her wedding ring anymore and my dad leaving actually secretly overnight and not being home and my mom crying at night and I I know that at some point and I don't know the sequence of events but at some point my mom came actually to my bed and cried and I mean I was trying to uh, soothe her and I was telling her you know we'll be okay and uh, you know everything's gonna be okay mom and yeah then my dad sat us down and said that he's wanting to leave my mom he's not happy and as kids we totally well, we got it. it's like who's been happy with my mom like we, we we totally understood that this wasn't fun to be around her and at the same time we i remember we were we kind of Saying, "So what's going to happen to us then?" Because you know we we don't like to be with mom, and you want to leave, but at the same time, I understood because I saw that letter, and I saw it like this was way further along than what he's letting us know right now. And, and and I didn't have the heart to tell him that, and he didn't have the heart to tell us that they actually at that point were already divorced. They just carried on like nothing had happened. They got divorced in February 1990. And didn't tell us. We didn't know. And I want to say that I found that letter actually after February sometime. And that whole thing with him leaving at night. And my mom crying was more towards the spring too. But it was until then, my mom constantly crying. And it, as a kid, to see your mom cry like this, it's just heart-wrenching. It's, it's you, you're really worried and and you want to do something and you feel so helpless. And it, it just doesn't... Mm-hmm. You can't make sense of it all. And then all of this happened. And of course, then it made sense. My sister was 10. I was 12. And everything around us crumbled. The the, the school system crumbled. Yeah. Teachers left overnight. Like It was like the Wild West all of a sudden. You would go to school in the morning and all of a sudden, two more teachers were gone. Or some classmates were gone. Because they just took off overnight and went to West Germany and started a new life. And the school books got swapped and classes were canceled because the, the the materials weren't appropriate to teach anymore and they had to figure out who could teach what because there weren't pe- teachers trained that were adequate to to teach all of a sudden and you had that and then you had at home your dad telling you i'm gonna go <laughs> and i'm not planning to take you along and this is really tough and your mom is constantly crying and you don't know why really up to that point it it really how do you want to say that? it it felt like everything you knew and was everything that was familiar to you was taken away ripped under you and you were hanging somewhere in 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 space without having any any stability in any kind of way yeah it was interesting (laughs) and then on top of it being 12 year old and a girl there's you know a lot of changes with you and your body and with boys all of a sudden looking differently at you and you're you know having more like changing in your interests and 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 then the entire environment changing with the, the wall coming down where all of a sudden you had advertisements and you had food in the stores that you only saw in movies before or things that you never opened up and laid eyes on you just knew the stuff from some movies and even TV changed. We only had two channels and all of a sudden we had like all these like what you call now cable TV like with, you know, advertisements and, and and shows that you only heard of and never watched. And so everything, it was like moving to to a different world, to be honest, you know, everything just changed around me. And I think that's where it feels so, what do you call this? Like you feel no control because you're not choosing to travel to a different country Everything's coming at you from all directions and you're just trying to deal like completely helpless and out of control. And I think that was the big part that felt so crappy about it. And when you think of the lockdown in 2020, that was in some way a familiar feeling to me as it was when I was 12 and the wall came down like this. what What is this? oh let's watch the news let's see and then not really knowing what is tomorrow going to be like you know but on a much broader scale because it was at least in lockdown you still had your home you had your car you had your like everything was familiar but nothing like that really was familiar anymore your parents all of a sudden decided to separate and your friends are gone and your teachers left and all of a sudden white is black and black is white for like school content, you know, like we had, we had maps where everything West was grayed out before because we could not travel there. We were not allowed to go anywhere other than Eastern countries. And I didn't even know what the map looked like from West Germany, Spain, France, the U.S. Like I, I never, I grew up thinking I would never set foot on a different continent because how would I have gotten there? You know, like I wasn't allowed to. We would go to the Czech Republic on vacation, and that was about the furthest you could go without too much trouble. Maybe Poland, but Poland was kind of a poor country where people didn't necessarily want to go on vacation. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it is it, it just a very interesting situation to be helpless as a 12 year old, depending on parents that all of a sudden had so much going on with themselves that they didn't look once how I was doing, how I was coping, because they were just trying to cope themselves because it was also happening to them, you know. They had their issues, and at the same time, everything around them changed. So you can't really say they neglected to look at me. They had too many places to look themselves to, to really figure out, maybe we need to look at our kids and see how they're doing, you know. Like, it was just not, yeah. So that went on until the summer. And by the summer, my mom had found a new partner and my dad had a new girlfriend. And because um, housing situation was really bad in East Germany, had always been, there weren't enough homes for people who who were looking to be in a home. He, He still lived, even though they were divorced, they still lived together in the same house because he couldn't move out. There was nowhere to go. And so he came with his girlfriend into our home and my, my mom had her boyfriend and he moved in with us as well. So we had now, my sister and I, two parents with new partners under one roof. I mean, it was just bizarre when you think of it. And it was, yeah, really, really hard to deal with this because at that point, my mom started to secure belongings that she wanted. And my dad looked for things that he really wanted. And they would fight a lot over what's, what would belong to him, what would go with her. And they started to lock doors in the house. So my mom would lock up the living room, would lock the storage room in the basement. And my dad would come home and be furious that that's locked. This is his home too. I mean, nobody paid out. No one. I mean, both belonged in that house. And we were in the middle of it and we watched my dad kicking the doors and destroying doors because my mom had locked them. And that was to him unacceptable. And as a kid, to, to, to see your dad lose his shit, so to speak, like that, to, to take a foot into the door and break the door frame, mm. it is scary. It is so scary to see someone who's actually the gentle, kind parent in the household to just become a mad person and the same with them fighting i would wake up at nights and, and and hear them scream at each other like horribly screaming like to the point where if a neighbor would have heard it they probably would have called the police and I, I i would go and and they would be fighting over something and i would try to settle them down and my mom would demand that i would take her side and tell my dad to stop because she was she was right and my dad would get angry that, that this all was happening, and 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 would tell me that if I did this, then I wouldn't be his daughter anymore. Like basically telling me it's either him or he's gonna disown me, so to speak. You know, and as you're like, I was by that point like 13 or so, like almost 13, and it's it's just so hard when you, on one hand, I sometimes didn't even know what was true and what wasn't, and you hear both sides and you don't know what to do, and then you have your mom look at you in, in a way where it's like please don't leave me or like please don't you know let me lose here so and then you have your dad looking at you like he's kind of like he was so violent all of a sudden that you are being afraid of him like I was being afraid of him then that he would smack me or something and and it was just horrible situations to the point where I, I get very sensitive now when when we have fights like my husband and I have fights sometimes that I I get scared that it's too loud or too like that the kids would get scared from that you know even though it's normal to to bite sometimes and to do that in a way where you don't really want anybody else to see it because it's not that pretty. For right, <laughs> sometimes lose it and yeah and 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 there was one instance where I actually was was frustrated because I knew this was how it went down and I knew my son had witnessed that and so I said to him right? I mean, can't you say that I'm right? You know? And then I could tell, I could see in his face how he was just like, I would like, how he was just like, I don't, I don't want to say something against that, even though I knew he knew that I was right. Right. And so I really apologized to him then afterwards. And I said, I will never do this to you again. I will never, I am so sorry that, you know, in the moment you're so heated and you're just like, tell him I'm right, you know? And then you, you realize this is the worst thing you can do to a child and that's what happened to me on and off. And it got to the point where my mom got hurt, where she had me take pictures for the police report, where she went to the police and my dad had smacked her or pushed her where she fell and she needed me as a witness because I was there and it is just... and yet I understood my dad because she pushes button like no one else and that he loses it because of that was to me not that far from, you know, possibility either. So it's just seeing your dad in that kind of, what do you call it, as such a character. And when you grew up always thinking he was the one who was the same, end of everything was just really hard to to then see that he could really lose it like this and to be afraid of them that way, you know? So, yeah, that was that year and then with all the food changes in the supermarket and what else and all the unhealthy foods more unhealthy foods coming in I gained quite a bit of weight and my mom would tell me to watch what I'm eating and not eat so much or you know like she, she was quite like controlling of her own weight she would you know tell me to join over the diet or something like this you know and so after all this struggle things happened the way Somehow, then down the road has to happen at some point when you have such a situation. Somewhere you have to (laughs) cope with all of this, and my way of coping was then to control one thing that I could control, which was how much food I put in my body and what I, you know, what I would eat and what I wouldn't eat. And I read this book that somebody gave my mom that she actually hid for me. That was about a girl who developed bulimia and that idea of throwing up because you wanted to lose weight, was like a new idea that I had never considered. And that seemed interesting to me. That was like this thing, like, I'm going to try this. And I bet my mom hit the book for me because she was exactly afraid of that. Because she knew me and she knew that potentially that would be intriguing to me to do, or she was afraid I would do it, or who knows why. But that's what I tried. To, and I tried to throw up and but I had success with that we are losing some weight and my mom crazed it at first and then I really got into looking up the calories and looking up you know what I would eat and even without throwing up restricting more and more and more to the point where we had battles then at home what I would eat and like my mom demanding I eat at least this or else I cannot get up from the table and like it was yeah it it, it was my way of Getting attention in some way when they were busy with each other and didn't care what was going on with me to kind of shout out, "I need help! I need somebody to look at me!" and it drew attention to lose weight, and that got reinforced. And if I looked sick, I actually was allowed to be sick, <laughs> even though I was sick way longer beforehand, but nobody cared and looked and gave it a thought. I was just functioning and so everything was okay and so now that I wasn't functioning I got a little bit of attention but that wasn't sustainable you know to 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 not eat and so with that came the binges that happened more and more where I lost control and ate and the feeling of them throwing up a lot of food was such a relief it was like this is the way to release all that pressure that built up inside me from that situation all around me, where I could just express, or where I could somehow get rid or feel relief from all of this stuff that I bottled up inside me, it was literally like this. Like I couldn't go anywhere. I was so ashamed with the way my parents acted. Like who should I have told? Should I went to a teacher and said my parents are hating each other to the point where? I have to take pictures and, you know, be a witness for my mom, for the police, or my parents are all living under one roof with each of them having their new part. Like, who would have, like, where should I have gone with all of this? And so it was my way to release all this tension that would constantly build up. And I had no choice to, to, to just pack up and go and say, this sucks. And You know, like I was dependent on them, and I had to somehow cope, and that was my way. I would binge and forget everything around me and just binge, and then I would purge and would feel this huge relief from getting rid of it all, and that was a newfound coping skill. Then, at that point, then I discovered that my mom had sleeping pills that I. And then stole some of them like always like one and then cut it up in half and would come home from school and instead of binging and purging because of course you know like food would be gone i'd get in trouble you know like my mom started to catch on like where's all this food and like with no money when you're that little yet you know how are you gonna finance an eating disorder like that you know i would actually go to the grocery stores and steal food like to the point where like not actually steal it and Carried out i would eat it in the grocery store so i would like open this back and eat a handful of this and open that you know because i couldn't like i wasn't really stealing but i was in bigger grocery stores you can kind of hide somewhere and eat right they <laughs> are <laughs> <And>, getting resourceful <laughs> i i figured that out to the point where they caught me and i was done it was the scariest thing ever you know i was done, taken in the back and they said they observed me stealing food and Then I was like told I cannot enter the store anymore. So then I was sweating if my mom wanted to go grocery shopping with me, thinking that somebody would walk up and say, sorry, she's not allowed in here. She stole food. Like it was actually a scary time, you know, to to the how do I get to food when I needed the bench and and, and I couldn't really do it at home when I didn't have money to finance that. So I saw the sleeping pills and uh, started to take some of those. And that was a newer better way then it wasn't so like shame like you didn't have to be so ashamed of that sleeping who doesn't want to sleep right especially when you're a teenager so i would like come home from school take a sleeping pill and just check out like sleep and it helped with being hungry you didn't have to eat when you were sleeping right and so it was like my way of restricting and checking out and not having to deal because i was asleep and yeah got to the point where I was quite underweight and my mom got really worried and saw the need to fix this somehow by taking me to a therapist. And so she'd like go to one and that person would suggest based on what she heard, oh, in like an residential treatment or like an inpatient treatment would be best. And my mom was like, no, I can't do that. She needs to be home. Like she needed me home. (laughs) And therefore, I couldn't go to a treatment place. I actually heard it and thought, oh, paradise. Like, I actually would have loved it. I would have loved to get away from it all, you know, just to be somewhere else than home would have been great. I wasn't even scared of it in any kind of way. Like, what could be worse than being at home in the middle of all this shit, you know? And so, no, we went to the next therapist and we probably went through four or five initial interviews. Before she heard someone say, oh yeah, we're going to schedule appointments and didn't want to put me in an in-person, I wouldn't call that in-person, in inpatient treatment program. And that's the person that I got as a therapist, which I had to see once a week and didn't know what to do there. I didn't know what I should tell her. I didn't know. I was so ashamed I could open up in any kind of way. I was just sitting there giving some answers to some questions she was asking, but I got nothing out of it. I didn't know how therapy worked. I wasn't motivated to do anything. Because why? What what do you want to... Like, I would have to go home by the end of this and deal. And how am I going to deal with any... Where do I even start describing what's going on? Like, I have no control over any of these things that are bothering me. My parents needed to go in treatment, not me. You know, like, it wasn't really... I didn't see any, what do you call it, use in that. Like, I couldn't use it for anything for myself. But that person then had the idea that I should do an exchange here as an exchange student to get out of this whole situation. She was the one. So that was the only good thing that came out of it that she said, for me at least, bottom line was that she had the idea and planted that in my head that I should get out of there. By the time I was done with ninth grade, And that's a typical time. Wasn't No, 10th grade. I was done with 10th grade. And that was a typical time when kids in Germany took a break for a year abroad and then come back and finish junior to senior year afterward. And at that point, she thought that it was a good idea. But I think I'm jumping a little bit ahead because then I'm already quite a bit older.
0: Take us back to when... The Berlin Wall came down, all of a sudden you had like McDonald's and all these fast food places. To be
1: honest, I it was fairly expensive. I didn't have the means to really pay for that. My mom, of course, was completely against it. Like, we're not eating fast food that makes you fat. Like, she was just fat phobic anyway. So, no, I actually didn't have that association between fast food, cheap food, and comfort food because it was fairly expensive for people in East Germany. We had a different salary yet. And the whole money system changed to the point where that was actually a treat or something really uh-huh. expensive back in the day. And I didn't have any means to really pay to binge on that stuff. So that wasn't really it. It was more what was in the stores. We we, we lived on very basic things on an mm-hmm. everyday level. And all of a sudden there were all these choices, all kinds of yogurt, even like really healthy foods, like all kinds of yogurt, all kinds of cheese, all kinds of fruit, whatever fruit you want, whether it was in season or not in season. Like we didn't know this. Like we had cabbage all year round. And that was about the only thing you could buy all year round. <laughs> some so carrots bad. and some potatoes. And like there wasn't like these exotic foods available. And even bananas were rare. Oranges were rare. Like stuff that you'd now take for granted every day. Were things that you'd have to stand in line for forever to get to have some oranges once in a while. Like that was a highlight to like I didn't know pineapple, fresh pineapple. I didn't know that because that was never something like this in the stores, you know. Wow a kiwi or a mango or something like this that was all so imagine when that's all of a sudden available to you like even if it's just that and you, you you just have to want to try everything and like it's just everything changes from what you would eat normally to all of a sudden having like these other food groups available like just variety just like yo- yogurt yeah variety and and, and try out this even when it was just yogurt there are like how many different you know make ways and flavors and whatnot that we didn't know like we didn't know like if there was yogurt it was strawberry yogurt and that was it like there was no blueberry raspberry banana beach, um banana strawberry like it wasn't there was nothing like this you know and so it was just even that that the amount of what 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 you could eat what was available to you was just very different you know or or different meats, like you you could all of a sudden buy anything you wanted. Like it was just a concept that we didn't know. We would eat whatever you could get at the store, you know, because like, there was never enough. You know, there was there was always scarcity around food and you would always just eat whatever you got. So I don't
0: know. I thought it
1: was interesting
0: from when we spoke last time that you were saying that your mom didn't want you to leave the house. To to go into the inpatient, even though you were welcoming it. Yeah. I would have loved it. Yeah.
1: Because she was reliant
0: on you at that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I cut that one short, but she would often come into my bed. Right. That's like a lot of memories where I would tell her. And that's still to the day she brings that up because I think it meant so much to her because I was saying to her things like, Mom, we can do this. We, you know, like the sun will shine. That's like something she will say to this day when she's really low. She says, Andre, you, you always said the sun will always shine again for you. You know, just like this believing in that there is a light at the end of this. Like as, as a kid, I would say that so often to her. Like we will be happy again. Like and then at the same time, I would feel responsible for make that happen. Like, you know, like I had to give her that happiness somehow in the way I was by performing well in school by achieving a lot by giving her ways to be happy you know being a good girl helping her doing things just the way she wanted them to be that was where I saw my job to replace my dad to do the things my dad used to do like cook for us like that was my dad's thing my mom doesn't really know how to cook it was not pretty when she was trying so then I (laughs) <laughs> but that also got that reinforced so much my interest in food and calorie and whatnot like once i was in the kitchen doing that then i would look up you know how do you do this and then what are the calories but this? like it just all went hand in hand then like you know like i would be obsessed about calories and how do you could fix food with less calories replacing a lot of stuff and again there was the option to buy diet products that we didn't have before, before. there was no diet yogurt versus yogurt or like we, we had like as i said if there were ever yogurt in the store it was one strawberry yogurt that was one company one thing that everybody got and you would have to be in line for it and battle <laughs> you know, other people over it and so there wasn't like oh so you had this option you could buy half fat this or light product that or diet this you know like and that was a whole obsession in my on on my own interest to read the labels and to see what's the difference when it's light. What's in there? You know, what do you? I know when I was really anorexic, I spent my spare time in the supermarket reading labels, just going in and reading labels. Like that's what I was doing. I wouldn't buy anything. I was just reading labels of products. And you have to also see that stuff happened overnight that our supermarkets changed. Like all of a sudden, they would, within a week, build a huge tent that was then a supermarket because our supermarkets were way small. We didn't have to hold all these products, right? So they would, built these tents of like temporary supermarkets where all the product would move in and almost literally overnight you had like a walmart sitting in your city that wasn't there before and then everybody go shop and look around and see and all of a sudden you had like five pro- five different brands for one product and a light version and a regular version for a lot of things and you know we had to we didn't even know like so what's a good product what's not a good product what is worth the money what do you know so there was a lot of exploring it really is like you go on vacation in a different country and you go to their supermarket and you're trying to figure out even though it's the same language you're trying to figure out what's what would you like what do you not like what is do you like peach i don't know never had peach right those kind of things right do you eat peach in the winter time even though it's usually a I' like you know what I mean, you have to first buy it and realize it doesn't taste good in the winter, you know, and we didn't know that like tomatoes all year round was something nobody knew, and so it yeah, this whole thing with being obsessed about food and trying to control my life by what i. It's almost bizarre that I did that at a time where food became available where I could have eaten anything and as healthy and whatever I wanted as possible to then deny it to then use it to binge and perch and to eventually just you know completely abstain almost like butchering myself with it you know thank you, thank you for painting that picture because it really it enlightened
0: me and hopefully the people that were listening because it's one thing to know about the Berlin Wall coming down mm-hmm. another thing to live it. It's it was so different and extreme to have a country just change on you overnight. Right. The it's- other thing
1: that that happened that was also a big factor of uncertainty was that the job market changed. So in East Germany there was no unemployment. Everybody worked and that wasn't it wasn't hard to 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 get a job. It was the the opposite was that the bad part about this was that you had no self-determination who you're going to be as a grown-up you couldn't say on your own I'm going to go to college and I become a psychologist or I go to college and become a teacher or you had to be in a certain mindset so teachers could only be teachers who were in a party system like in the socialist party system you couldn't become a teacher if you didn't believe in the socialist party so my dad who actually was before he retired a science teacher he wasn't during East German times during my childhood he had a hard time keeping the job because he was so outspoken and lost his shirt off network about the system that everything was shit that we could produce anything everything was crap he was frustrated and he got fired but you couldn't really get fired out of the system because they would there was no unemployment they needed the workforce And so he would get fired from one job, but next they have a different job somewhere else where they thought he'd be better fitting in. So when I was little, he was actually for a while working as like a forest ranger or something because they thought that that would be, he is a very smart person. Like he he would have loved to work in research and be like a, a researcher. And he was working as a forest ranger because he could not deal with the system in a way where he could keep a job and after the walking down they called him immediately and said you you we need you because we need teachers we were short on teachers because they couldn't let the teachers that were all in that system and had this mindset work anymore because they had the wrong attitude or that they, they, they were you know they weren't adequate anymore but there were lives destroyed because of this system that although we had no unemployment you couldn't determine on your own who you want to be growing up as a profession my parents were very worried about us because they weren't they refused to join the party and therefore we actually had no right to go to university because our parents didn't have the right attitude so to speak and we therefore didn't have the right upbringing to become educated in this country and so they were very worried what would happen once we got older and thank God they welcomed down when I was 12 because it was not too late for me to then pick my own path, right? But it came with the scariness that a lot of people lost their jobs because the companies that produce things in East Germany closed down. They were ran over by the West German companies that bored them up, that drowned them out, that said your products or like automatically the products couldn't hold up. They weren't good. that wasn't produced anymore. And then these people lost their jobs. And Had to somehow, and my mom included, had to somehow find something else. And that's actually, that's true. And i let you say that. That's actually what happened. My mom had to go for six months to schooling to get a new job, to be trained in West Germany. So she had to drive about four hours by car on Monday morning to, or she went Sunday night, stay Monday through Friday at that, in an apartment, go to schooling, get trained into our new job. And then come back Friday night, and then she'd only spent the weekend with us. And by that time, my dad had found an apartment, got married to her, his girlfriend, and she was pregnant, and they had a child. And so he was leaving our house, moving out. And when my mom had to go to that training, we were home alone with her boyfriend, who we needed. Between my sister and I, it was the asshole. We referred to him as the asshole. He was a horrible person. It was like, I bet they matched very well because it was my mom on steroids. Like this guy was like someone who needed everything down his way, who only saw his way and no other way. And even my mom wasn't good enough in most things of what she did. And so he would criticize and put us down and just run the show at home. And he was awful. He was coming out of a divorce where he had two boys who refused to have visitation with, his, with their dad. That's how bad he was as a person that his own two boys that didn't want to have anything to do with him. But we were stuck with them at home because my mom needed someone and anybody was good than nobody just to have. And so we were stuck with them and we had constantly fights with that guy. And then like this whole, it was emotionally so draining. To go through these motions of my mom begging us to make it work with him, begging him to make it work with us, and us having to agree that we're going to try again. And then my mom packed up and left every Sunday to go to his her schooling and then came back Friday. And we were Monday through Friday with that asshole. And so what would happen a lot was that we would do our thing. He would do his thing. And we basically had nobody. And... When you really think about it, we had a dad, but we did like we, we weren't allowed to see him. He wasn't really offering for us. He didn't know that much that that we were home alone because we, we my my mom begged us not to tell him because she was worried that he'd go to court and say, you know, what what's going on with that? I they can stay with me or so. I guess that's also something I completely jumped over because my parents got divorced while the war was coming down. They got divorced with laws being like the, the laws of East Germany didn't apply anymore. So really, but the laws of West Germany or of un, the unified Germany were not until October the next year really and, and, and set in place. So they yeah. were in this no man's land for laws when they got divorced where everything was a fight, like there were no laws about custody, visitation, but like everything was just, it just dropped on because one lawyer from my mom would just bring up some loophole that my dad's lawyer had to address and then my dad. So they were fighting about custody and visitations for years for us. It wasn't so much of an issue at first because they were both still living under one roof. But when he moved out, my mom did everything in her power to prevent him from seeing us. Like it was just her biggest fear. He would influence us too much turn her, her turn her against us. And he was constantly busy when we got to see him justifying his behavior to us and why and how. So the only time we had was once a month from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. on a Saturday and no on a Sunday. I think it was always the first Sunday of each month we had basically from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. with him. And then most of that time was spent with him just hashing out what happened between them and trying to make sure we saw his side too. And so it was never fun to really spend time with them because it was just that topic over and over because he felt that he could otherwise not have his side seen or heard, his, his side of the story. And so he was... And it just completely broke me, this whole situation about going to him, feeling much more home with him, but yet feeling like you're betraying your mom at the same time for liking being with him. And then coming back home and everything was such a shit show at home with my mom's boyfriend being an asshole and my mom being such a um, incapable parents say it in a nice way. so <laughs> was just yeah and I remember one time I came home and I went straight to the bathroom locked myself in and I just cried so hard and the only thing my mom had to say to that was yelling through the door if you're like this when you come back from your dad then I will make sure you're never gonna go see him again <laughs> so basically telling me that if you don't get your shit together then you're not gonna get to see your dad again so it, it wasn't about Tell me what happened, or like it was just like I can't see you suffer like this. So you better hide this from me, or otherwise, I'm gonna make sure I'm not gonna have to see that again.
0: I know when we spoke so candidly about the stories, and I remember those parts, and I just think that there are parts of that you lived through, and they're so near and dear, and there are parts to understand the evolution of you so that's why I was like, oh man! I remember. Tell me about this and tell me about that, because understanding all of the change of government, your, you know, your parents, everything that we're talking about, I think it just, it just allows us to get such a visual storytelling mm-hmm. of your story. So yeah. thank you, thank you.
1: Yeah, and I think people don't understand how often I sometimes still take in. The freedom that I have here, and know that that wasn't always like this, and what and it is not a thing you just get, you you just have, you know. Like it, I, I sometimes still go grocery shopping and think, "Gosh, look at all of this!" Like I get overwhelmed thinking, "Oh my gosh, you know, I have all this." And buy like something special to eat, like a dragon fruit or something. Thinking back to the time where. I've seen the thing for the first time and didn't know what it was called, or where, you know, like I had no idea what it tasted like and had to try it for the first time. And it's the same with like traveling. It's it's something that as a kid I grew up with, knowing I'm not going to leave this country ever. Even if I wanted to, I can't. And people would die trying. You know, we heard those stories, too, that people would try fleeing and get shot. Mm. And I remember being in third grade in Berlin on the other side of the wall where the Brandenburg Gate was And there's military everywhere with machine gun, And I was so scared. I didn't even want to look in that direction because I was afraid because I knew we were against the system. I would, I was afraid they could read my mind and would shoot me. Like I wanted to get away from this as far as I could. And now I can walk through this Brandenburg gate and it still overwhelms me when I'm there. Yeah. Like it, it it is something my kids will never grasp what goes like, what goes on emotionally when I walk through the skate and remember feeling like I'm gonna get shot. You know, or the first time I traveled to Washington, DC, I I stood there and I thought, gotta pinch me. I am in Washington, DC. I am in the US. I like even though I've lived here for decades, like the first time I go places that are like something you heard as a kid on TV, you always think, I I that must be a dream. I'm here, you know? I'm actually here, or we, we flew to Australia a few years ago, and it just was beyond me to to understand that I was physically in Australia, that I could do this, and how much you am, appreciate that freedom. It, there are so many that just don't don't grasp that. Yeah, yeah,
0: beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So take us back to. Uh, I remember you telling me about that therapist.
1: Yeah. And she the, said, you got to get out of there, girl. Yeah. She, like, she, she. You said that she knew, but she didn't know. Right. Like, well, she must have known enough because I, I couldn't utilize that time. Well, because I was afraid to say anything like I didn't want to put my mom in a bad light. I didn't like I didn't know how to really get any. I didn't know how therapy worked in the first place. I wasn't wanting to get better. I was like, you take this away from me. What do I have left? Like, and and honestly, that's a fair point because I had to stay in the situation. And if you took what I had to cope with away, how am I going to cope better? Any adult in that situation, you would say, you got to get away from this, right? You, you won't, you can do whatever you want. In the end, the situation is making you sick. And I, as a kid, couldn't get out of that situation. What am I going to do? You know, tell my mom, don't hit me. Tell my dad, don't be such an ass. Like. What am I gonna do, you know? And so it was this. What am I gonna do here because I can't change anything about it. This is my way of being able to cope. And I think she then got it that I needed it. that was her solution. She needs to get out of the situation, just like an adult needs to get out of a bad situation, right? And so she told my mom she knows about this program. It's really good, and she thinks that would be really great for me. And my mom was at that point under pressure because a lot of people ask her questions how I was doing and. I needed to, like, I wasn't doing well. I looked very sick. And uh, I had this contract then to get to a certain rate to be able to go. And so I was motivated because I wanted to get out of that place. And I was just feeling bad because it cost a lot of money to do that exchange here. And my mom couldn't afford it. And my grandparents helped with some money. I took all the money I ever saved up from whatever gift or so I had to that point. I was 15 then. And we all kind of pitched in together and I went for one year to America. Like the same thing, like who would ever thought I'd go to America? And everybody, there was this 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 expectation, I would come back and I'd be fixed, right? This is what everybody invested in is that I'd go for a year, get my shit order and come back and be fixed and so, <laughs> without any therapy over here, you know, just send me off. Good luck. <laughs> it went well for a little while. And then, of course, you know, things catch up with you. You can't cope with gaining some weight easily. And, and especially, you know, now over here, things are different. Diet is different. And anybody, they told us that before we went, anybody would gain some weight being on the States. It was normal next shouldn't to put on 10-15 pounds or so they told us that and I thought to myself and not me you know like I was like I'm not gonna put on fifty pounds I think I came back with like 30 pounds more so it's like <laughs> it wasn't like I was right with that but that was my intention to you know follow the track of what everybody else but it, it in the end it did me good like physically I felt better I wasn't a normal weight at that point then when I came back and I met my husband when I was here after, I think I was here for like five or six weeks and they had a get-together for exchange students and his family hosted an exchange student too. And so he gave his host brother a ride to that place where we all met and we bumped into each other by accident because I was hanging out with another German girl who was pointing at him and his host brother who was from Poland. And she really thought he was cute, their host brother was, and, and and said, come on, we'll go talk to them. And I would have, like, the last thing I would have done is talking to some boys, but they were asking me where I was from, where I lived, and they were, like, 45 minutes away in a different town, my husband. And sure enough, they showed up the next day at my house because I told them, kind of, like, to Skype where we lived. and must have been easy to find. And they claimed the bank was closed at their place, at their And so they had to drive over here anyway. So they were around, and they just wanted to swing by. And my host parent thought, okay, she's here for five weeks, and the boys are already (laughs) on our door. And I never had a boyfriend like that before. Like where you know, like so it it was a whole new thing. But you know, I told myself, hey, you know, like you're over here, everything's new. You know, like you're just gonna go with the flow and whatever. You know, so I my husband called back the next day, so then I knew it was him, not the other guy, and I was a little upset because the other guy was better looking and i was like man you know like of course it can't be him <laughs> but you know we went on a couple free dates and all of them were just so weirdly comforting like it was just so caught like he he just spread this like confidence and calmness about him even though he was nervous as shit i didn't know I could understand very little English. We had very, we struggled through every conversation there was because I only knew some words and I only understood about a fourth of what he said. And to this day, he jokes and says, that's the only way I had a chance with you because you couldn't understand. What I said. <laughs> so, wait, the thing was when you think about it, two teenagers going on a date and not being able to communicate well and still enjoying time together and wanting to repeat it, right? That there was something between us that it just clicked, you know. Even though I, I just knew I felt good around him, and he was head over heels in love with me pretty quickly. But not because I was sounding so smart, but probably
0: <laughs> I don't know what it was.
1: <laughs> but he, yeah, we were not gonna let
0: go of you. That's for sure. <laughs> you
1: no, know, I. I really enjoyed being with them. And yeah, my host parents were young. They were very young. They they, they weren't like this. Um, like if I would have had a different host family, it wouldn't have went the way it went because they were not even 30 themselves. And they just thought it was fun to have him around too. And they just kind of like, okay, if he wants to stay overnight, here's a blanket. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, was just, just, but yeah, it was, it was all nice that way that, that I could, For once, it was the complete opposite to home. There was no structure. There were no rules. There were no, like I was, they were basically saying, as long as you always tell us the truth, because we're responsible for you, you can do whatever you want. We just need to know what you're doing. Never lie to us. And then we're good because we just need to know where you are. And so we had no curfew. We'd be out until like 3 a.m. Driving around. Who knows what, right? They didn't ask questions. As long as I told them, you know, I'm with them were coming back and he's like matt was a pretty solid guy he wasn't like a crazy he was actually quite mature for his age he worked for his dad he had older siblings way older siblings like he's the youngest of four born when his parents were already in the 40s so it was it was like he was not the kind of guy that that would do crazy like he they kind of figured they that we could be trusted, like without being too paranoid that we would get in trouble or anything, right? And so it was a, a really great year on that level that I was treated like an adult almost, you know, and was given all kinds of responsibilities and control where I had never experienced that at home. Where there were only rules and only you do what I say and you know, and there I could be me and I was seventeen or I turned seventeen when I was there. And was for the first time actually seen for a 17 or maybe even an older kid. Like, because they, they were like 28. Like they, lucky me, right? That I had post-parents like that who just really weren't into parenting me. They were just busy with their little kids and thought it was cool to have me around as backup, you know? (laughs) So it was great. It was great. It was, I really... I really enjoyed that year as much as I still struggled a little bit with the weight gain, the eating. Having my husband was good because he distracted a little bit from that too, though, and didn't make me feel like I I had to worry about it in any kind of way, you know. And he didn't he didn't know that I was struggling that much. I only brought up you know that I needed new new clothes because my clothes wouldn't fit anymore i needed to mix size up and whatnot and we would go shopping together and but i would never share with them that i had trouble with eating even though there were times where i would perch you know like i just wouldn't tell him that that happened but for the most time when we were together it went well like i wasn't too much focused on what i ate or yeah so yeah and once i was done with the exchange here i came back home and i had I looked well and looks and is all what matters to everybody, right? Oh, she, she can't wait. Right? She's good. You know, that weight doesn't matter when you have an eating disorder. People don't understand that you can be a healthy weight and have completely disordered eating. You can be overweight and be anorexic. You can be like, it, it does not, or, or mal, at least malnourished, you know, like you can, you can be overweight and, and malnourished because you constantly try to diet and, and restrict. And then break down and, and binge on there and, and and gain that weight again. But everybody assumed I was good. And so now my obligation was to hide everything because that wasn't. And that was more stressful than before because now I owed them all because they sent me off to get better. I came back and I still struggled. And in the meantime, my mom had ended that relationship and found the next guy. And moved in with that guy. So I actually came back into a different home, a different school, a different environment. than I had left because my mom moved. And so it was a big shift, but almost for the better because I was starting over in that way. So I told myself even, I'm better. I'm going to do this. And I start out with new friends, with new teachers, with new... Like nobody knew my history that I had an eating disorder. And honestly, to this... To this day, some of them that know me after we moved from, from that other place, never. I never told them. Whereas in my old school, everybody knew. I'm the girl with the eating disorder. Everybody knew I had an issue. I would throw up. Like Like people knew I had that. And so it kind of helped, to be honest, at that point in time. It's just that the next guy was an asshole too. We didn't get along with him either. So my mom doesn't, I don't know, pick the best people, I guess. That guy was a con man who had, yeah, who basically she got married to that guy because he forced her to get, like, not like, made her to get married to him as a con artist artist just as con artist, area. Beautifully does, you know, like <laughs> he he pushed her into it. She would never want her to get married again, and she did. And she was so embarrassed about that that she didn't even tell us that she would get married. She turned fifty and they made her 50th birthday celebration their wedding celebration and didn't tell anybody who'd come to the birthday celebration that it was like, surprise, we're getting married. And then all of a sudden they got married. But it wasn't an accident. It was because my mom knew she was doing the wrong thing. And if she would have told anybody ahead of time about her plans, people would have said, you, no. You know, they would have told her not to do that. And yet he had, pushed her into that with whatever reason where she felt that was the only way she could get it done is by making it a surprise we're getting married and so i didn't even know you know like i i wasn't there because at that point i wasn't in the streets but i was shocked everyone was shocked All of a sudden, this guy was married to my mom and we hated that guy too and he was he was such an ass and of course within a year of them being married he cheated on her and moved on you know like it was just but that's a whole story related. later. No, what I wanted to say is that I finished high school. My husband now husband joined the army to be stationed in Germany to be with me because he was not having this whole thing where just seeing you next summer. You had told me that he he was stationed. Some... About four, four hours away from where I went to school. So we would do this weekend thing where he'd come up on the weekend. And then my mom would bitch like, is, is he always going to come up? Like she didn't like it. Because she saw the writing on a wall, you know, so she's done with school. <laughs> That's not a good thing to have a boyfriend who is American and then how is this going to end, you know, like. So she was very unsupportive of that whole relationship. She'd do whatever she could for me not to be able to see him or for him to not feel that feel that welcome at her house, you know, like, because I still lived at home and so what am I going to do? And I actually tried to move out because I made the case that I had a long way to school. I didn't go to the school I was zoned for. I went to a different school. that was a very liberal school that was in the bigger city. And that was a great school for me, a great fit, but it was such a far... I floated that idea that I could just get... I was 18, that I could just move out and get an apartment. And my dad paid child support. My mom could pay the same child support. I could use that pay. Oh my God, she didn't have any of this. And That was like a big fighting point for us that I wanted to move out when I was 18 and she didn't allow it. Well, anyways, yeah, what next? I I graduated high school and then started college. So I always thought, you know, the big issue is is being at home, being so controlled and being in that environment that I was sick. And then once I had the chance to move out and be on my own, call my own shots, that I would magically somehow... (laughs) Be okay with everything, but I wasn't. I my whole eating disorder just went out of control to the point where I was so sick that I thought I either want to die or I'm gonna get better. Like it was just this thing where I was I couldn't control any of it. I was just binging, purging. I just I couldn't keep anything down. Everything just went into a spiral of an next binge and another binge and another binge and another binge, and it was just. I, I couldn't get two days strong together where I wouldn't do it. Like it was to that point and it is wearing on you after a while. Not to say that it was financially difficult to buy all that food and finance that. And social life was really hard that way too. You know, to try to go to parties when you couldn't really eat. Or what would happen then mostly is that I would stick to drinking. But then with the drinking came the next like you want to usually when you drink you want to eat and the drinking was fun but then i wanted to eat and then i would freak out about the food and then i would make myself throw up again which then was the endless thing there and yeah i i went to a doctor during my second year of schooling there and said that i really need help and that's when i was referred to a therapist that was instrumental to me getting on the right path in life in general to to at least figure myself out to the point where I understood what had happened to me to understand that what that all was about with the eating that I wasn't I always thought I self-inflicted I read that book and I made the decision to throw up it was all my fault up to that point I thought it was all my god fault and yeah I i worked really hard and I took a full year until eating got better. Like he was getting to the point where he wasn't sure about patient treatment was working at all. Like where he said, and maybe that I need to go take a time off Mm from my college, you know, to, to go to an inpatient treatment. Cause I just couldn't make progress. I tried so hard and I just couldn't. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden it started to get better. And I can't tell you why. But all of a sudden I could string a week together or, you know, 10 days together and then it would happen again. But th- those were huge successes for me to, to have that. And then pretty quickly it started to stack up more where I could get a couple of weeks in, three weeks in, you know, like at a time. But then the drinking started. So I could get the binging and perching under control, but instead I would drink a bottle of wine on a Saturday night. You know? <laughs> and of course it was, the whole bond was usually when I knew I could sleep in the next day. But then it would accidentally happen during the week too. where I had to show up. I did like an externship at 7.30 a.m. I was in the hospital and I had to be there early and I would still be hungover and I same saying, fuck, what did she do? You know, like you drank that whole bottle of wine and being like 20, 21 years old and you drank a whole bottle of wine, you could fill it the next day. You know, like it was just Not smart, but that was, I figured out that if I drank in the evening, I didn't have so much trouble with eating. I could, like, I wouldn't have food in the house anyways, but I could take my food that I had for the evening and wouldn't have this anxiety over how much I ate or wanting, like this whole urge to eat more or the urge to keep going to to, to, to check out with the binging was gone because I would check out with drinking. (laughs) Right. Little did I know that that was just switching one thing for another. And I didn't tell my therapist anything about it because I was just getting praised for not binging and purchasing. Nice job. Right? <laughs> That's but, cool. you know, you just don't know. You're 20 some years old. You don't know. The internet wasn't there. You couldn't Google anything. I mean, you know, it was, it wasn't, I, I didn't even get it that I was doing this where I could have. I think, set something to the point of helping the therapist understand what was really happening to me. I was being good. Like I, anybody in Germany drinks with dinner or, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like something, I mean, the bottles would add up where I was like starting to realize I can't just, because we would recycle everything and I couldn't just put it in the recycle. That's just me living there. And I'd have like all these bottles stacking up, right? But I focused on, I'm not binging, I'm not purging, I'm doing a good job. And the drinking, I totally ignored. It was just that it came to mind that, well, getting rid of these bottles is kind of embarrassing. But I didn't really question the behavior that much, that instead of binging and purging, I was drinking. And so, yeah. We
0: spoke about that before, too. That whole
1: guacamole,
0: guacamole, that that we were talking about getting addictions and you don't even realize it, right? I didn't understand it. No. I don't think even like my, like many of the listeners I would say that that's one of the things that's why we've even done some of the podcasts on cross addiction because it it happens, you know, very subtly. Mm-hmm. And we're just trying to mute the feelings that are not going to go away. They're always going to be there. And so you know, of course, we're getting praise for one thing and then another thing pops up
1: and then we're like, oh, I didn't know that. Th- yeah, I didn't know that I couldn't do that either. Right. <laughs> 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 so that's kind of what it was for me. Like, oh, I didn't know that was not good either. You know, because it's like therapists didn't ask so much. Are you drinking these days when I showed him. My feet for the week of not binging and perching. He's just like, All right, how did you do? You know, like, how did you do it? It didn't occur to me because I drank instead. I didn't, you know, I was just like, Well, you know, and I had all these strategies, like not having enough like food for binges at home or not, you know, or eating somewhere else and then coming home. Or so I did all of that and I just did not mention that. Meanwhile, I was hungover the next day because I drank a bottle of wine instead, you know? So, yeah. Sounds silly now, but it really didn't occur to me. It I, just didn't. I think to-
0: that's really normal, yeah. you know, that it does. We don't associate the two, it happens a lot. And that's why, also, I love your recovery story because you're speaking so candidly about this that maybe someone in the same situation may realize that they've let go of the alcohol. Yeah. But all of a sudden, there's some other coping mechanism rather than the
1: actual problem still sitting there. Right? Yeah. So right or they're going back to something they've done like me in earlier times because now that I'm not drinking anymore. We'll get to that, but you know, I'm struggling a little bit again with the restricting, you know, because it feels a little bit like being on a diet when you don't drink. Like often you don't drink when you're on a diet, right? And so now I have to really watch out that I'm not going back to restricting too much and yeah. But I'm more aware of it now. Yeah.
0: right. So
1: and the thing that happened is with that second husband of my mom's, he drank a lot. And so she up to that point, she was actually both of my parents weren't in East Germany. You couldn't get much good stuff to drink. You had hard liquor that tasted like crap. My parents weren't into liquor and wine was hard to get and tasted crappy and was very expensive. And so. They would on occasion drink a bottle of wine, rarely though, and then both of them started consuming more when the wall came down, of course, with all the stress they had, and then it was cheap, and there was, again, a selection like you can't believe, like all kinds of wines from France, from Italy, from like whatever, whatever you wanted was there, and then of course, you know, you're at the age, uh, you're an adult, and you're like, I've never had like wine from france and i never had wine from italy you want to try it all and so you your consumption goes up and with my mom being with that other the second no yeah the second husband he drank quite a bit regularly and got her to drink regularly so her consumption picked up and i observed that when i was still living at home during high school and i was able to drink at home i mean drinking age in germany is so low Nobody thought about it. I was 14 when I started drinking a little bit here and there. And by the time I was 16, 17, nobody raised an eyebrow if I would pour myself something and nobody would ask. They just would say, you know, like, if you use the last one, let us know so we can buy some more. Like, it wasn't something like I was not a senior in high school and we would have like I worked for the school. What do you call it? The yearbook. I was in the yearbook and we would like sometimes pull on nighters because of deadlines and stuff and we'd have beer and whatnot and, you know. It was just even a night, like nobody would, like, we'd go without teachers to the bar on a Friday night as seniors. And, like, it wasn't a big deal. And so it didn't, yeah, that whole thing that I would drink instead of binging a person wasn't occurring. Like, even from a cultural standpoint, wasn't occurring to me as something that was a new coping strategy because I couldn't have my other one. And that's why I actually got out of their eating behavior because i found something else that was just as well suited for my issues because it would numb me just the same way the binging would get me into a zone and then the purging would make me feel this relief of distress and tension and everything that came with that i have to say i don't want to miss the last year before i left to go to the states i had a really nice social life where i made a lot of friends went to lots of parties and i don't want to miss that at all like i no, there was a lot of unhealthy drinking involved in that, but it was the best year of my life that I had since a long, long time where I actually didn't struggle anymore with worrying about food that much. Just drank a little bit too much, got a little crazy here and there, but heck, you know, I wouldn't want my kids not to have that either. It's just there's a season for everything and I can't do this anymore now being 40, right? And so it was a really good time that one year where I was healthier and I participated again <laughs> as an in, in in early 20 some year old in life and had what was normal as a social life, you know, would go to places and be with people and really enjoy friendships without being so occupied with my addictions and my mental health and my whatever it all was, you know. Right. So. It was socially.
0: It, it was socially. And I think that that's one of the things like with alcohol that it's cool till it's not. Right. Like we're, it starts out fun and, and normal for the age where, you know, that you're in college and you're having fun and you're socializing or maybe, you know, there's just so many different aspects to social drinking. It's not social drinking. It's then when we become the awareness That now it's not social drinking, it's the dependence Mm -hmm. on drinking, right? So to, to to understand you and saying what you're saying
1: is you're being age appropriate. Right. I do think it was age appropriate. And I am so glad I worked so hard to get to that point where I experienced that because starting from 12 years old, nothing was age appropriate in my life up to that point. Nothing was. I was a mini adult being little, soothing my mom. And then, you know, later I couldn't be a grown up because I was stuck with the stuff that I didn't have when I was in my teens, you know, like I was still there and didn't know who I really was and what I really liked and what I didn't like and what I, like I, to the day I struggled with those things because I didn't have Any opportunity to really shape that when other people do, you know, during those years, I was just focusing on pleasing my mom and being really good for her so that she'd be happy, that she didn't have to cry all the time. And, you know, and so that year, I really embraced that year. That was a great year for me where I was just being normal. Yeah. Being normal in a lot of ways. And I, I, yeah. It's my favorite year of that entire dedicated <laughs> Yeah. So then I I packed up and moved to the States after, you know, got my green card, got married, got my green card and came to the States with no idea what I'm going to do over here. I graduated from school, we got married. And then the year during my green card getting pro- processed, I worked for that year in in Germany. And so we were our first year of our marriage, not together because he couldn't stay the whole year with me. And we got married in Germany and then filed the paperwork for everything to get the green card. And I worked for that year. And that's the year I'm referring to where I was having really a great time. And by the end of that year, I was in a position for maternity leave. I was really struggling. It was a dream of a position. It was a really good place to work. And it was a hard position to have. Like it was luck that I lucked into out of an externship into that position. And they actually liked having me so much. They wanted to give me a full-time permanent position there. They would have opened up another position for me to, for the rest of my life, I could work there. And that was just in, in Germany. and And that was just so hard to then say without any clue of what I would do in the States to say no thank you the plan was to come here my green card is here now and I'm packing up and I'm going and take leaving everything there behind the friends that I made in that year the life that I had there in a year and the work that I really enjoyed in that year that was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to have those those positions were so rare I was in such a diverse setting where no day was boring and where you could every day learn something new and, and have like this this variety of things that nothing was stuck in a rut. Like it was just a really good position to be in. It was a good pay and good benefits. It, it was like, there were times when I thought I am just nuts giving this all up for complete uncertainty. No idea what I'm going to do in the States. I just know I'm going to move in with my husband and he lived at his parents and we're going to move in with his parents. That's all I knew. No plan. No, like we were so busy with that cream cart stuff. Like it keeps you so busy and it's so nerve wracking. And so we didn't have money for an attorney or anything like this. Like people hire people to do this. It's so hard. that we never talked about what would happen once I actually got there. <laughs> no clue what's going to happen. I just knew I'm going to come over and then we're going to be together. And that was the plan. And that was all I knew. And so I came 10 days before 9-11 happened. I stood in Chicago at the airport, immigration, my two suitcases in hand and immigrated to the United States. And my mom was very upset with me that I left. She did not like it at all. And within a month of me being gone, she gave all my belongings that I still had at um. home away to every two, two. Like, I had a room where it was really tight, like, you know, I had it all tidied in the closet and, you know, it was just sitting there. Wouldn't have bothered anything. You could have used that room as a guest room. It would have not. But within weeks, everything was cut out. The entire room, all my belongings, records, tapes, clothes, books, whatever I had left behind that was too heavy to carry that I could not take with. And she never asked for permission either. You didn't ask. It was just gone. And it's sensitive stuff as a woman, right? Your clothes go to somebody you don't like anyways, who's similar in size, but then you're like, shit. Like now like you don't want someone else to try on your clothes and then say, Ooh, you know, I'm thinner than like, especially when you have an eating disorder. That's the last thing I wanted is she gave it to my cousin's girlfriend who I hated. My clothes went to her, my nice, beloved Like, you do have a relationship with your clothes when you're in your 20s and you can't buy stuff all the time. You know, like, you are just married to these clothes for quite some time and then you give them away and somebody else knows your size and what you're wearing. And like it was just really hurtful. And records, like, all of that stuff, like, they are now worth so much money and she just handed them out to other people who now are lucky to have the original Michael Jackson. "Dangerous." <laughs> heard of something like this you know like yeah it was just this popular move from my mom that I moved out that was like this was her way of saying you really hurt my feelings or you I don't know it was hard but she did that and I moved in with Matt's parents Matt's parents have never drank alcohol in their life out of religious reasons like they don't drink so there was no alcohol in the house and I had to, <laughs> I I had to suck it up and live sober, so to speak, for months at a time. And it worked really well. It worked really well. I was okay with that. And we moved them out a few months later in our own place. And it was a little hole in the wall and we didn't have much money at all because it was his income that he got from working in his dad's mechanic shop, tire shop and me working I i found then a job working as an aide for ten hours, ten bucks an hour for someone as needed, so not like a real job, but just like a help job. And in that budget, we couldn't afford alcohol either. You know, it was just there were like twenty bucks left by the end of the month when we were done. You know, it it wasn't anything we could make big jumps and afford a lot of stuff. It's just utilities and gas and some food and budget that and I was good at budgeting. I grew up budgeting stuff. Like my mom trained us well how to live on a small dime. You know what I mean? Like it was just what she trained us to do. You look at the stuff, what how much it costs and this is the budget and you stick to it and it all worked for that. Yeah. And so drinking wasn't much of a problem because I couldn't afford it. I, I didn't think of it after I had several months not drank at his parents to then start to buy alcohol when we didn't have money for it. it didn't make sense. I didn't do it. You know, until we moved again and I started my doctoral program, like I needed something to relax. And so that's when I budged and started to buy alcohol where we would have alcohol around. And it was within reason at first, but as it happens with alcohol, you know, you just start increasing and increasing. By the time I went into the doctoral program, I was back to regular drinking and yeah, spending way more money on alcohol than I should. I thought also to
0: take us back a little bit I thought it was really courageous of you and I wanted (laughs) to bring this up that you came clean with your husband
1: oh yeah yeah because he still had didn't have a clue we were we were yeah living together for the first time really in our life because we only had these long distance relationships until then and then our first year of marriage we were apart on the phone all the time. And so it was really when we moved into his parents' house, the first time we actually lived together, <laughs> all of us, and his parents getting to know me a little bit more and I got to know them that way. And I hadn't told him that I had this whole history with eating and then felt like it was time to tell him because I felt safe enough where it was enough in the rear m- mirror for me that I knew. I'm done dealing with this to the point where I should tell him. I was too worried to tell him sooner because I worried he would take over and dictate or or scold or like I knew from trying to do this when I was with my mom that I needed, I I couldn't have people like interject or, 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 or... I don't know how to describe that, but like I needed to be in charge myself of doing this. And I was afraid if I told him, I wouldn't be in charge anymore. It would like be this obligation or just this some people being intrusive with their ideas and their ways of doing things that would just make things worse. And so I knew at that point that it was safer to to, to tell him, but it felt so hard to come with this big secret all of a sudden after we've been together like we were together six years when we got married and so that was like seven years into a relationship I tell him by the way I had this big eating disorder thing going on that I almost died from and yeah that <laughs> <laughs> was so scary for me and he thought like when I told him I said I have this thing I need to tell you I was shaking I was I was not able to look at him and he thought I had an affair <laughs> He thought I had cheated on him. He thought that, the, like, something really, and, and all it was was that. And he's like, okay, so we're going to move on from here. And I said, well, I don't want to have to report every time I mess up if it were to happen. And there were on occasion here and there the time where I would perch or so, like, just overwhelmed, messed up, just, you know, slips. Something <laughs> that got me right back on track. It didn't derail anything, but it would be like, especially like things like barbecues or so that where I, I didn't really watch out enough and then got in trouble and was overwhelmed and couldn't deal and then purged or so. That, that would happen on occasion. And I didn't want to then have to come running and report, I slept or so. And so we made this, this agreement that on the 15th of every month, I would give him a quick insight in what was happening in an honest way. But otherwise I'll deal with it myself because that felt okay and and then after a while it kind of got like we we didn't have to do this anymore because i would just keep saying nothing nothing to report because there was really nothing i was pretty stable with that and and yeah but that's how we agreed but i forgot totally about that right (laughs) now yes and this happened yeah so yeah that was a big thing for me to open up and actually tell him about this and He had often enough commented on how stupid eating disorders are. And like, I I was afraid to tell him because he didn't show any empathy for this, no understanding of it, complete ignorance of it. And the only thing he knew of it was some girls in his school that were just in his eyes, dung or like, he just couldn't find any empathy for that, where it wasn't really helpful for me to then come forward and say, I was one of them, you know? (laughs) And then he actually developed quite a compassion for it once he knew my story. Like, he just didn't even know what was behind it all. He thought it was a vanity thing. Like, something, like, people just didn't think they were pretty enough or, like, were just out of vanity. Is said the right word? Yeah. Yeah. Just starving themselves or so. He, he didn't understand what was really behind it. So, I have to say that that was probably one of the hardest and most scariest things that back then. Yeah, it, it felt like a huge thing to, to, to share that with him. And it took me a long time to get to that point where I was willing to take that risk, you know, because mm-hmm. it meant so much to me to share that. And he, yeah, I was so afraid how he would react because with holding such a, for me, big secret, you know, I I, I could totally see, he, he felt betrayed. Like he, he felt hurt when, but at the same time, he was relieved that that's all it was, you know. It's <laughs> always, but yeah, of course, you felt pretty betrayed that you know I didn't have the trust or the courage to tell him sooner. You know, mm-hmm. I think now looking mm-hmm. back, it it's crazy that I basically had this blank slate that I could mold into my life that beforehand. It was somehow felt everything was dictated and expected. And like it, I always had to somehow comply to whatever expectations there were for me. And then once I packed up and left, it was all in front of me where nobody was anymore setting the expectations or the goals. It was just me. And I, when I look back, I, I really made so much out of nothing. I came with two suitcases, and I I learned how the university system worked. How what a GRE, like a GRE test. Like is that the, the right thing? I like for the master's program. I think the GRE. I studied for that like crazy to get in, and I just cannot all of a sudden like plowed this path for myself where there wasn't anything. Um, what do you say? How do you say that? Like there was no, no, no pattern, no grid. There was n- nothing given to me. That, like I had to follow or so. Like that's what it felt like up to that point in Germany. There was always this, like here, this is you have to turn left here, and you have to do this, and you say yes to this, and you have to, you know, like all these things. And then all of a sudden, here yeah, everything was like a blank slate. It was like do something with whatever you have, and wow, you know, like I, yeah. beautiful beautiful. a lot of it a lot of it was possible because i had met people along the way that were supportive and helped me along and i'm very grateful for that you know but in the end it was my ambition and initiation and motivation and drive to pursue what inside i could feel was making me happy you know like i love learning i love school and I could have easily just got pregnant and had a kid or two and be a stay home mom right and that would have been fine but that was not like inside of me that wasn't what my calling was for the next decades right to do and then I just went with what my calling was that I knew I enjoyed this I wanted to be in I was wanting to be in university since I was in school and I didn't get to do that in Germany, but then I got to do it here to the point where I never stopped going to university, <laughs> you know? And then my husband was supportive of that. It could have been him who would have said, you know, no, I'm not having this. This costs too much money. You need to go to work. You need to like having. He supported it too, you know, to for me to pursue whatever I wanted and what made me happy. And that's when I look back, I'm very grateful for that. And again, when you look back in the big thing, I didn't grow up with this as being a matter of course thing. I didn't grow up with an understanding of having a choice who I wanted to be as an adult for a profession. You know, I knew they would tell me you can do X, Y, and Z. And that was it. That was the choice you had. And you were lucky if you had that. And I came to the complete opposite here in the States where land of opportunity in capital letters you you do you you know and i had all the support i could get around me to make this happen and i took it and ran with it you know so it's cool it's beautiful it's beautiful
0: so okay what happened when the eating disorder doesn't it kind of fades out and then i, I believe the drinking the drinking
1: yeah that's and how what happened the yeah, the drinking got more and more, especially when I was in the doctoral program. That was a common thing. Even when you go out for drinks, you do this and that. It was just the thing that everybody did. And there's this is pretty stressful stuff. And I drank away the stress that way. It was a way to relieve anxiety. It was a way to, I still cope with eating a little bit that way. Like to the point I didn't understand it, but restricting and drinking instead. There's the drunkorexia, whatever it's called, you know, where you restrict what you eat, and instead you drink it, and then you are at a pretty healthy weight, but you basically just get bust the whole time. And yeah, I struggle. So, what happened is my grandpa passed away unexpectedly right after the, after, at the end of my master's degree, and I fell into a deep depression afterwards. Like it was such a shock. It was the first grandparents that I being like more adult, like dealing with death, loss. I was close to my grandpa and my grandpa, very close to him. And um, it was just such a shock. I couldn't get out of that depression. Almost got kicked out of the master's program because of it. And my professor, my advisor, and I said depression and said, because her daughter had depression, had dealt with depression. And she said, you need to go to university counseling and you need to figure this out. And so I got put on some medication and. Went to counseling and then I graduated and then started a doctoral program. And they basically transferred me from one counseling center to another counseling center because then the eating disorder creeped up a little bit with depression and all of that. Where I even raised my hand and said, Oh, oh, I see, I know this stuff. Like this is not happening. I'm not doing this. And so got to a therapist in my doctoral program who was in the eating disorders specialty specialty track or whatever, whatever you call Like she would handle, she was like, team lead for eating disorders and stuff and so i saw her for four years and and learned a lot about i thought myself that i had not like the the first time i went to therapy it was just all about behavior just get rid of this binging and purging. like i did not address a lot of things other than trying to modify my behavior and not to binge anymore and now the next four years i was figuring out more well, what i really wanted who i was what i really wanted in life figured This whole conundrum about when am I going to have kids? So, you know, like I'm going to school wherever I'm going to fit that in. Like all of this happened and I got put on better medication, got diagnosed with bipolar and kind of didn't know that I had that. And then, yeah, all of a sudden I got the baby bug and and I was like, I I need (laughs) to really need to have a baby now. And yesterday is not soon enough kind of thing. And, you know, and I was still in school and all of a sudden I wanted all of that. And my husband was like, You want everything 100%. This is not going to work out well. You know, like this is not finish one thing and then we'll do the next thing and you know and I'm like no 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 you know like this is I think a typical thing when you're 28 29 right you're like no you know like, why did nobody tell me that I'm gonna be in this situation now like this and I was really mad at the world about how hard it is for women to have a career and to have a family and was really struggling with that and needed to I was really motivated to get my health and everything in order for me to be able to pregnant and to deal with pregnancy the weight gain with with all of this really well so it was that whole motivation of i can't drink anymore i need to be healthy i need to eat well i need to figure out my body in in a way where i i can actually be ready to be pregnant and deal with that even on an emotional level being a mom when you didn't have a good role model for being a mom being afraid to be a bad mom and failing at this when all you want is to be good, but you don't know what good is. You <laughs> <know>? <laughs> so yeah, so we did have my son then. And then we, after being together at that point, 12 years, six years married, we had our first big crisis because things were stressful with a new kid. And I started, well, I was breastfeeding at first, but once I was done breastfeeding, I was drinking a lot for reducing that stress. And we actually did a little bit of, couple of counseling and that was helpful but we both kind of hated the whole process of it but we learned a lot from it that really carried us through to this day quite a bit and yeah it it has been drinking really became on the forefront my way of relieving stress i was then in school i had a baby money was tight because i was on a stipend he was working and childcare care is expensive and without child care you can get your work done and so it's like This thing where, you know, medical class, it's just a lot of stress. And I would drink to relieve that. And then I started my first job. We had another child and... Drinking once I was done breastfeeding, it was always okay not drinking during pregnancy and while breastfeeding, it was right away on the forefront as soon as I could after that, right? And so that's when really the drinking, the eating was that especially the pregnancies went very well for me to learn to eat well. Like it was like this thing where I found ways to, without much anxiety, eat normal portions or normal serving sizes and kind of really recalibrate what you should eat, when how much like to really learn to be unafraid of any kind of food. That's what happened during pregnancy. And it was beautiful. And I really enjoyed it. I really loved being pregnant both times for that reason that I lost this fear of food because I was feeding another little person that I loved, you know? So it was this 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 really cool experience of learning to trust my body and learning to feed myself for the sake of being healthy that I never lost afterwards again, really, you know, that that, that ability to just eat anything mm-hmm. without fear. That really came together during the pregnancies and during breastfeeding. But then as soon as I could, the drinking came back in. And especially after I had then two little kids, a full-time job, my husband working a full-time job. It was nuts. I drank every night and to the point of where sometimes I would be Drunk and worried that if something was wrong with the kids, I couldn't show up at the ER like that. Like I knew I was too drunk to really go. My son had asthma; he had often croup, where you know, and it sucked to know. Oh, you could hear him cough that seal kind of like cough, croupy cough, and you knew. Oh, you need to really watch how much you drink. Potentially, you have to run to the ER because he needs a breathing treatment. And I hate. And I felt so bad for feeling mad that I couldn't drink because of my kid, like to the point where sometimes I even failed at it. And I remember showing up at the ER once and I didn't even bother to brush my teeth or take some gum. I must have smelled like alcohol like crazy because I had at least three or four glasses of wine. And then my husband drove to the ER and I was standing there and he was, he needed quite a bit of to, to, to get because he was so creepy, like he could barely and we waited too long because I was dreading to have to go to the ER because I was drinking. And so I knew it really became a problem. I was getting very worried how much money of the budget we spent on alcohol. I knew it was several hundred bucks a month. And I knew that it was like an already bought in bulk and, and tried to save money and not drink anything expensive and who knows what. But I was upset that out of all the money we had, so much went into that because we were still quite short on money, and it, it, it just wasn't fair that I took so much of it to drink when nobody else drank. You know, my husband doesn't really drink, and he just always chalked it up to, this is her culture, that's what he saw my parents do, mm-hmm. and I never acted drunk at home, and I always hid it very well how much I even drank. And yeah, it it it, it just slowly got worse and worse and worse, where... I would need to drink where I was worried if I couldn't drink. I was grumpy, trying to find ways to drink. <laughs> you know, <can> like with <laughs> me Because I couldn't sleep. That was the thing. My body so depended on the alcohol to fall asleep that I knew if I skipped to drink in the evening, I wouldn't be able to fall asleep. And heck do I hate it, laying in bed and not falling asleep. The struggle of falling asleep was horrible. And so I would drink. And it was always the thing, the fear of not being able to fall asleep would make me drink. And once I had one glass and I had another one, then so that whole thing would happen over and over. And there were so many opportunities, even job-wise, happy hour, getting together, where they offered alcohol that even at work, it it was quite enabling to drink even before dinner or before, you know. So, yeah, they... I ignored it for the longest time. I just thought, this is what everybody does. I hear other people talk like this. And then we moved in 2014. And then I started to see a therapist again in 2017 for anxiety and depression. Because I struggled too much with, with anxiety, especially social anxiety, that when I was at conferences or so, I would wake up in the middle of the night with close to panic attacks that just race racing thoughts sweat like i would be drenched in sweat just just it was just a horrible feeling like gloom and doom and like you felt like you're gonna die in a second and it was all related to just feeling so overwhelmed by anxiety that i i wanted to address it and so i went to my doctor and i said either i take something for anxiety some meds and he goes well why we start with some therapy first like wouldn't i (laughs) didn't want to do that Because I've already had like several things that I was taking for mood and who knows what. He's like, let's go to therapy. I'm like, sure, let's do therapy. And I said to them right away, you know, like I am not taking around my past. Just fix my anxiety. This is all I need. And please do not. I ducked like I had a good amount of therapy under my belt. But then I was like, heck no, not again. I am just needing some strategies to fix my anxiety, please. And so that's all I was wanting to do, right? (laughs) Ha ha. (laughs) It's going to work. But I started, yeah, I started to say after a while that actually I'm kind of drinking quite a bit. And then, but as soon as she would say, like, so how much are we talking? I'm like, oh, fuck no, don't ask me that. Like, that's why I didn't want to bring it up because I don't want to tell you, right? Like, <laughs> no, it's not bad. It's not that Right. Like, just take my word for it. It's not that good and I want to work on it. But don't, please don't ask me how much I'm actually drinking because I'd rather die than tell you right now. Right. So, yeah. And I unfortunately wasn't with a therapist who was really trained for addiction. And I was asking things like, is it reasonable to assume that with time I can moderate? Is it reasonable for me to not drink during the week, but on the weekends? This would be my goal. And I actually wasn't ready to hear any other thing than, Yes, of course, this Mm -hmm. is reasonable. And yes, of course, we can work on that. Right. And so the answer I got was, well, I'm not an addiction counselor, you know, like, (laughs) but I'm like good enough of an answer. So we'll go with yes. it is (laughs)
0: So
1: I tried, I tried for one and a half years. I really did well with the rule of not drinking Monday through Thursday and allowing myself to drink Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The problem was once I was able to drink Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it became quite the binge Drinking session where I was drinking five, six, seven, eight drinks sometimes and was completely hungover the next, ruined my whole weekend because I felt like crap until the afternoon of the next day. And then fixed it with drinking again because then you don't feel the hangover from the. Mm-hmm. Next. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, but I lied to myself and I said, I don't have a problem with alcohol because I don't drink Monday through Thursday and I can totally do that. And yes, it's hard, but. Oh, well, I'm going to learn that it won't be. And I was so surprised that I never was able to make this easy, that Monday would come around and I would say in the evening, no, you don't drink. It over and over and over was hard again. And why, why wouldn't I learn? Like, I was so frustrated with myself. Why, like, why wouldn't I learn that Monday means no and Friday means yes. And until Friday, my mind, please don't bug me about wanting to drink because you know the rule is from Monday to Thursday you don't drink so please just when is it ever going to get easy and it never did and as soon as life got stressful and big things came up this whole thing didn't work I didn't have the bandwidth for it I had to just it went out the window and I just drank every day and then I would reset and say okay now get back to not drinking during the week and that would happen for a while until then in 2021 I went through a stand through from October to december where i drank every day and it was quite a bit where i was like okay in january you got to get your shit together you got to get back on your track. but i got frustrated by that point it's like but it's, until now it never got like where is this gonna you know and so that was the wake-up call like i can't moderation is not gonna work it's always gonna be a problem and yes i do have a problem with drinking it's not in my control i have to pack a bottle of wine and the carry on when we're traveling somewhere because i have to drink in the evening to be able to go to sleep it's not fun anymore like it is just not drinking because you enjoy the taste it's because you got to drink so to be able to sleep you know and so i didn't enjoy it anymore to have to keep it a secret to not show anybody like it was just the kids my husband and me and i was drinking wine like it doesn't make sense it's not right you know like not like a social situation where people have a party and you have a few it's that you by yourself you need to drink everybody else is not drinking and Mm -hmm. it just it's just not what i wanted it's like it's not who i wanted to be it's not what i wanted and i yeah so then january came around and i yeah on the first i decided okay this off on doesn't work so how about every day but in moderation in that way that every night after ten p.m you can have one glass of wine to go to sleep and that's it that's your reward for the day you can look forward to it every day this should work yeah the second of january came and three classes happened at 9 p.m not at 10 one but at 9 or 9:30 30 already the first one because it was close enough and then it was three and so on the third i woke up and said that's it like i this is getting too brainy for me to come up with all these rules nothing works and tonight um I, I sat in my therapist's office so then i switched therapist to one that actually has a victim as part of her training and experience and so i sat there and i was like look i i wasn't sure what i wanted to do but i knew i needed this <laughs> and it, it was overwhelming it was overwhelming to to, to, to to promise and say i'm gonna go sober like i couldn't get those words across my lips to say I'm going to quit drinking. That was not something I ever said until I actually had done it already. Like I I couldn't, I couldn't tell myself I'm going to quit drinking. That was, I wanted to cry when I just thought of that, like, don't make me do that. Right. And so it was this, maybe tonight if things go well and I can endure it, I'm not going to drink. That's how I went home from that therapy session. (laughs) Like, maybe I'm going to try. Not quite sure. I can't promise anything, but. I'm considering this right now <laughs> for and the today. Day. Yeah, for today. And then fortunately, I had another session that same week, like three days later or so. And I came back, I'm like, okay, three days. I haven't had anything for three days. I still wasn't sure what I'm going to do. I just honestly went one day or like even one hour at a time watching how this would unfold because I wasn't really ready for the fight. I didn't want to set myself up to like I was with the eating like okay gung-ho I'm gonna do this. I wasn't sure what I really wanted. I just started to admit that something had to be done because nothing I tried really worked right and so it was just day by day and a little bit more and actually What happened is I downloaded that app, the IAS I Am Sober app, and I think that's something she suggested you could count the days. I think that was her on the first time, like on that first appointment in January, she said that I think. And so I looked for an app because it hadn't crossed my mind to count days. And man, if I hadn't downloaded that app, like it was like one of those things that sometimes in life things just happen when they're supposed to happen, right? I downloaded that app and I. Set it all up, and it was like this thing of like, I don't even have a cool name. Like, I just like, What kind of hey So, anyways, some people have such fun names, and I was like, Okay, running and yoga. <laughs> this is, but it was kind of intentional in that way that I thought this is my healthy way of dealing. I'm going to put that as my name, you know, running and yoga, even though I haven't been a lifelong runner or like I just had done. For or three years of running in yoga. That was like from the other anxiety therapist, the thing that I took with running in yoga. And so that's what I went with and found this community. And all of a sudden realized, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. I'm not, this is, I'm not some weirdo who's really not an alcoholic. I don't have an alcohol problem. I don't really need to do this. There are tons of us here. And we all, we, right, we all are like that. There are not many people there that are like what i would have pictured being an alcoholic no they're all like you and me and everybody else and we all come kind of with our shit and we're all just trying to be better and we all fought the fight to the point where we realized this is what we need to do and we have each other to support now right and that was such a huge 180 in my brain that i belong there and i'm in the right place and this is doable if I just stick to that and take this as my way of working my way through this and the next big step I had to do them is to tell my husband that I was that I quit drinking right and so that was at first I was like no way and I know I talked with my therapist about this she's like wouldn't you want to tell your husband and I'm like no way no way and she's like okay just thought I mentioned that but like, no right? because I was, again, I was so scared that he would take over and dictate how I had to do this. And it was like this back door that I didn't want to close where I was like, what if I changed my mind? And then he'll come and say, but you didn't want to drink, you know? And then I had to, like, I didn't want to have these conversations. I didn't know where it's was going to go. And it was the hardest thing. Then I reminded myself, you did not tell him. And he was so disappointed you didn't trust him when you had that eating disorder. I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to tell him in 10 years. By the way, the reason why I wasn't drinking all of a anymore was because I realized I was an alcoholic, right? It's like, it is fair to him to tell him. And I still struggle with this kind of trust and openness. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I want to get to a point where I can do this. And so it it was so hard. And I... I did, I couldn't even quickly enough make up my mind what I wanted to do when he sat me down and said, something's going on. You've been so different. You need to tell me what's going on. And I was in that moment having to make that decision then. Do I say something or do I play it off as, oh, you know, just, you know, so whatever it is, right? Because I was, when I quit drinking, I was, I was in such a shitty mood. I was so depressed. I felt like I lost part of myself. I had to give up something I recognized I had to do it but I felt so sad about it like I wasn't jumping for joy highly motivated doing this I was tipping my toe in something that I wasn't even sure I wanted and then he comes and asks what's wrong and I hadn't even sorted it out and I was just like what am I going to do here but in the moment all this went to my head like don't do this again don't do this again like you did last time and I again you know I was like shaking I couldn't look at him I was like I quit drinking and he's like oh you know no big deal And honey, you don't have to see it quite that black and white. You can still drink on a special, okay? I'm like, no. And so I had to really fill him in like, this is way more than what you were thinking because I didn't show you the true picture, right? And so I painted the picture and he's like, well, we can do this. Like he was like, look, you know, you can do this. And we're so supportive and it's it was a good thing. It was a good thing that I was honest. And yes, it said that, you know, ship on fire and sunk it that or closed that back door where i was like okay now i'm committing and it felt scary it felt so scary to commit and say okay i'm guess i'm gonna go sober and this is it and yet i knew if i really want this if i'm serious about it then i need to do this like i need to tell him that that way so that i have him as a support system too right because if i don't if I don't tell him, yeah, I have that option to go back to drinking. But I can also not expect any support from him if it gets hard and I'm, I can't say to him, I really feel like drinking, but I really don't want to like get this whole struggle out. And don't I want this? Right? Don't I want someone where I can say I'm having a really hard time? Can you help me? You know, I never really had to do that so much. I never felt really really big battles where just. it it, honestly i had imagined it being so hard but i've been through this eating thing where you had to learn to moderate or learn to do something again that was essential for living that with alcohol it's just not like that you can decide to not touch it and you don't have to learn to live with it in a way where you eat normally right and so I had imagined it, and I think I, that's why I shied away from it for so long, I had imagined having to go through the same battle that I did with eating with the alcohol, and it wasn't, it wasn't comparable in any way. It was, and honestly, maybe it helped that I had been through this because I knew how to deal with like, oh, be careful, this is going to be a hard situation. Here are the things, like the, making the plan, like it had to do for eating. I was so used to doing that already that it kind of helped me to deal with the Back home now, where it's like, okay, it's gonna be a little bit harder. What are you gonna do? What do you have in place? You know, here's the things you can do, or maybe you're not ready for this. Then don't do that to yourself. Don't be in that situation, right? But yeah, the, the app downloading that and then telling my husband they were the two critical things to get this going off the bat. Where once I made the decision, I'm gonna give this a shot. It actually went on and on and on and on, and, on and I stacked up the days. And pretty quickly, too, I joined the Zoom meetings, like where I was like, curious. I'm a curious person, like I've always been. That struck me. I'm like, Zoom meeting? And I was so nervous. And I have so much social anxiety. But I was like, Zoom meeting, right? You're about what those Zoom meetings are about, right? Maybe they're good, you know? And so I know I I logged on. And I was thinking to myself, oh, my God, if this is like really bad, I can just knock off again, right? I'm just going to jump right back out. And they were so friendly. And Everybody was so welcoming and it felt so good to be there. Like it was, I was in awe. People were like friends of each other. They knew each other. They were like this community was just so laid back and I wanted to be part of it. I was like, all of a sudden I saw that what I thought I had to give up and make my life dull, like I really saw my life as being less fun, almost like you turned the color off and I had to live in a black and white grayscale world, right? without alcohol and i would just have to accept that this is what it is i i went to one zoom and i saw that it can be color it can be even more colorful and i was convinced that there was a better life to be had listening to them than i actually had up to that point and that was a turning point for me where i felt like you didn't give everything up you just decided to gain and improve on your life and free yourself from these things that you it was like a turning point for me and I was pretty open with my husband then too telling him I really like the zoom meetings he's very supportive like every time I want to go on a Zoom, he's like sure go do that you know like it's not something where I have to try to tiptoe around it or make sure it's not too often or you know like that he doesn't feel like, I'm I'm just wanting to do that instead of spend time with him. So he knows that means so much to me. And it's so helpful to me that he lets me, or he's always okay with me being on Zooms, And he never asks anything about it. He doesn't get, like, nosy about it or anything, you know. Yeah. And the thing is, too, like, I, I show him sometimes, look, I got 383 days or something the other day I showed him, you know, just a couple of days ago. And he's like, good job, honey. Good job. And I'm thinking, yes. But if somebody on IAS tells me good job, it means so much more than somebody who drinks two beers in their whole year telling me you did a good job, honey. You know, like as much as he means it, it doesn't it doesn't weigh the same as if somebody else says who's been through it. Good it's, job, honey. <laughs>
0: when they know the struggle, you know, right? Right. And I, I, I want. I want you to bring up also, so you're joining Zoom meetings, but now you're hosting. You've right. been yeah. hosting, like, all of
1: a sudden. I, I don't, don't know, know how, how soon I started that, but I I really enjoyed the Zoom meeting to the point where I felt like that's a way to give back. You know, like, that's a way to, uh, and I think we were struggling a little bit with finding hosts at some point in time. We had, like, a time where it was a little bit hard to find. And so then I felt an opportunity to, to just give it a try. And it was scary. And so I was a co-host at first and I tried this out with Polly. I think Polly was taking me under her wings and showing me the ins and outs of it. And I know from teaching Zoom meeting myself, right? Didn't know about breakout rooms, but heck, that's fun. But yeah, and so I learned it a little bit and then I was ready to go. And I really enjoyed making up my own topics, finding the song and for a while, I really did this and, and was really committed to it. And I'm getting now back into it. I had a little bit of a busy time and had to step back a little bit, but always enjoyed stepping in if somebody had something come up short term and or on short notice and needed somebody to jump in to be the person who can say, I'll pick you up just that one time because I can't commit to a whole month of hosting or so, but I can jump in when somebody needs it. And that feels so good to give back and to to somehow do something to help others and to have, to, to provide that space that helped me so much to others too. Yes. It's very gratifying, to be honest. Yeah. there yeah. Like, it, you know, the
0: reason that I wanted you to bring it up and you hosting the Zoom because when we log on to the app, it's one thing. We're scared there. Then we're scared to post. Then we're scared to tell our loved ones. And then we're scared to go to the Zooms. And this evolution of you that I've seen, because I've been girlfriending you for a while. Like, <laughs> yeah, look, evolution, evolution of of running in yoga for so long yeah. and I see these things. Not only that, you've gone another
1: podcast too. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and and honestly, I see the growth too. I I sometimes have trouble seeing it, but I see the growth too that I made through joining the Zooms and working in these small groups on topics that are pertaining to everybody, that we're all struggling with, that as much as you can be in therapy talking about stuff, there is some value in exchanging that with a small group of people and listening and talking and seeing other people take risks and, and, and working on things and then seeing or, or having that motivation to do that too. It is a stronger pull than just being an individual therapy with your therapist, where you can talk forever in circles about why and what and how and who. And then you don't get to the point to actually risk something and do something. And as much as I've always been motivated and tried my best, I feel like this is an accelerator to go to those students to work on those same issues, but with other people in a group and to feed off of each other and say... You've done that, let me try that. Or I've done that, you should try it. You know, like there is this dynamic is really interesting for me. And I feel like I'm making, I'm covering so much more ground now. I've been in the Zoom meetings for about a year compared to just individual therapy. I still need that, but I do think that combination is really effective. You know, definitely. There's a lot to be said
0: for that, for having therapy, the therapy therapy, coaching, but also having community, Community. connection beats addiction because of these beautiful things. The vulnerability is dropping the mask and us being able to talk through everything like you said. And when I also, the reason that I brought up the podcast was because I saw you do this also simultaneously almost, Mm -hmm. right? It was like, okay, I'm here, I'm busting out. And I heard, you know, bits and pieces. It was, I believe, on through the glass. And mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And just where do you get that? Like, where did that come up from to do that? to What is it?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Especially since I've always been very anxious and self-conscious and don't have a lot of esteem to, to, to feel comfortable. And I think that's a huge area where I feel I've gained like just learning that I can be myself and still be okay loved welcomed you know I haven't experienced that much to be honest to just be myself and feel okay with that even though in real life it may as well work too I'm just I to this point haven't been I haven't had enough courage to do that and so I that's where I see the the effectiveness of this, where I can try in this safe space and then feel like I have a little bit more, how do you say that? Like I, I'm I'm then willing to take that risk in real life too, because the experience here in the small spaces in the zones were so positive. You know? Right. And honestly it and and, and and you even get so grounded in that community that even if taking the risk doesn't go well with other people that you can come back to this place and find grounding again and say it's not me it's them you know like to, to to not destroy yourself over something that gone wrong you know and and get that support here that it's not you it's them you know because you don't see it on your own you look automatically that you messed up that it's something about you that it's you know and and you trust the people that tell you it's them, it's not you, that it's true. And and I always struggled with that. If a therapist just told me it's not you, it's them or so, that doesn't feel the same as if a whole group tells you, you mean so much to us and you are good the way you are. You don't have to hide anything and then feel more grounded in that. Yeah. I can't express it any different. Yeah.
0: I think you've done it beautifully i'm I, i'm getting
1: there i'm excited i'm getting there
0: <laughs> you've arrived baby. you've arrived and i you know what i also just wanted to mention because these are things that i just see and i see the pictures with your family with your son and stuff mm-hmm. so i love those beautiful moments because those are moments that you know how they, they feel to you but now and I bring this up because I want to preface it because it's so heavy the mommy wine culture to be able to cope with your life and to cope with your kids to need alcohol. And now, having in my own story to be see the difference, what it is to cope with my family without the alcohol was the magic. And I see that in you. How's the relationship? with your mm-hmm. family how does it go
1: it honestly it's it's not as pretty because i don't always yet act in the most appropriate ways where before i was probably a little bit more on but was buzzed and, and was able to hide feelings and cope with feelings inside of me maybe better with the alcohol but i'm learning to, to I mess up more now being sober you know, I have more outbursts and more uneven all over the place things. But I recognize them. And I think there's something to be said about just being honest and apologize when you were messing up. And my, I think my kids are old enough. They get it and they actually appreciate it. And I never had this. My mom would have never apologized for anything, even though I'm sure sometimes she knew she was foolish and did things wrong and totally had regrets. I, I can do that. I can go and say I'm so sorry I just yelled at you. I totally lost my shit, but I'm sorry that happened. That wasn't right. And I, they're like teenagers, right? And they can take that in and say, "Yeah, totally understandable. I pushed your buttons." Like they're old enough to get that part too. And I'm not saying because you pushed my buttons all your fault. I'm just saying, "I'm sorry. That wasn't right. Let me make this up." Rewind. Let's do differently, right? And they have enough insight to also own their part. Then and often they come out and say, and I said, yeah, even if you did push my button, it wasn't okay that I acted that way, right? So it's not, it doesn't look pretty right now. I'm still working on a lot of stuff, but I'd rather have it this way than to numb it all up with alcohol and not freak out and not have my nose burst and not have my Normans. because it's all part of life, right? I mean, it's just us being humans and doing our best we can and having to then just own it all too and say, I'm sorry, I just did that, you know. <laughs> but I'm bad. Let me, yeah, my bad. Let me, let me apologize to you because I'm still learning. I am so new to this. I'm still learning so much, but I'm willing to learn, right? I mean, there's no way other than through this, right? And you're, so, changing, yeah. you're, you're changing repression
0: to be able to... to express yeah feelings right kids don't come in with manuals is what i've always been told oh my gosh no (laughs) no you know (laughs) and and this is the beautiful part like do not suppress but express and that's what we're we're feeling and teaching and and they're being able to see and we don't
1: have to numb it you You know?
0: know so Dad. And it is
1: hard. It is hard when you haven't had, a, like, there are 12 and 15. What was going on when I was 12, 15? I have no template. I have nothing to draw from to say, this is what happens normally. I don't know, you know? And so, hey, you know, give yourself some grace here. You're, you're, you're trying things out and you're trying. And I give myself credit for trying, right? So, that's all I can say. Later is that that's my biggest motivation to be able to look in the mirror and tell myself you tried your best. That's always what I just want to do. You know, is and and keep drinking and keep being stuck in unhealthy things is not trying your best, and that doesn't serve me anymore because I can do better now. You know, and so I own that that I try my best, and that's all I can do. And they might go to a therapist later and talk about me. I can only say at least. I can look in the mirror and say, but I tried my best, right? It's all. And whatever it is that I may have messed up, I tried my best. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes. I think it's beautifully, beautifully said, beautifully expressed, because that's exactly what it is, is to be present for it all. Mm -hmm. So in closing, (laughs) I I wanted to ask you one final question. For someone that is on their day zero or day one, what advice would you give? Oh, I'm putting you on the spot. But
1: yeah, you- I know. And in, in the on the first, the first reaction is, I don't have any advice because I didn't know how to do day zero. I didn't know what day zero when I had it. Right. Yeah. Like, I can only encourage anyone to give it a shot because it's worth it. And that's really all I got right now because I remember day one or day zero being very scary and very uncertain and I'm just glad I did it. And so that's the only thing I can say is that anybody that's at that point is to give it at least a try because it's worth it, you know? I
0: think that's beautiful. No, that's beautiful. Give it a shot, you know? So I I think, you know, you coming in here, many of us coming into this app, we thought it was a daily counter. We saw
1: that there was community. Right. <laughs> like, I'm just going to count my days here. It was life changing. It was life changing. <laughs> and honestly, it makes me, make me sad sometimes that back in the day when I was struggling with my eating disorder, that I didn't have anything like this. I felt so alone and it felt so impossible. That you know, I sometimes think now, how would it have had been different? Would it have had would it been a shorter journey? Would it, would I have made more progress if I had it? So yeah, I just regret that it wasn't there sooner, and I'm so glad it's there, and it is a life changer. It was definitely. The best thing that happened to me, the un- I, th- I will be grateful to the universe forever that this was the first app that popped up that I downloaded because it was literally the first app that I downloaded. It was the first one on the list. I just like find this one and never would I have thought what kind of doors that open, you
0: right. know, and friendships yeah. formed and everything. Right.
1: So we would have n- never met it. Oh, right. Start, start. <laughs>
0: Oh my God. And I'm, it's so, thank you so, 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 so much for your love and your vulnerability and your courage and sharing your story with our community. So I thank you on behalf of Silvertown. I thank you for just contributing and giving us your recovery story because it is so beautiful.
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity and your time to listen to me for so long. I really, really appreciate it.
0: I love it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Liv.